This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. When I began my interview with Shira Lankin Sheps, founder of The Layers Project, I thought that we would be primarily speaking about the idea of giving women a voice, and that for sure is a big part of what The Layers Project is about. But the conversation went in a direction that I simply hadn't anticipated. Let me explain. Orthodox Jews are rightly very proud of our emphasis on community. Our tefillot are almost all in the plural. Our prayer is ideally accomplished in a tzibur, a quorum. And we emphasize kol Yisrael arevim zebazeh. We are all responsible for one another, or even more literally, all Israel are guarantors for one another. We should certainly be proud of our embrace of community and communal values. It's an important antidote to selfishness. But like everything in the world, a good thing can have a dark side, and community is no different. Shira explained that an emphasis on community, unchecked, can lead to having people on the inside and having other people who are not on the inside. People who belong and people who don't. And more to the point, the importance of belonging to the community can lead to shame about things that are fundamentally normal, but might lead somebody to feel different or perhaps potentially excluded from what the community emphasizes or even pretends to be. As a result, Shira told me, deviating from the norm becomes shameful. Our Orthodox community is very often governed by shame. And once she expressed it, the problem became obvious. And Shira's The Layers Project and The Layers Project magazine are attempts to end the taboos and eliminate the sense of shame by normalizing issues that many Jewish women experience. By normalizing them, we validate them. And that leads to a more inclusive and a healthier community. Shira Lankin Sheps is the founder and photojournalist behind The Layers Project and The Layers Project magazine. She has a BA in English Literature from Yeshiva University and an MSW from Hunter School of Social Work. Shira just made Aliyah to Jerusalem from New Jersey with her husband and her children. Shira Lankin Sheps, thank you so much for being with me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. Thank you for having me. Before we start, I want to wish you Mazel Tov on your recent Aliyah. How long has it been since you moved to Israel? Wow. Okay. Tomorrow, it's going to be three weeks. Tomorrow. That's Tuesday. We're probably releasing this on Wednesday, so that's yesterday. <laughs> wow. Well, Mazel Tov, how's it going so far? You know, it's a, it's a roller coaster. It's deeply emotional and very intense and joyful and painful and confusing, um, but definitely exciting. They say, Eretz Yisrael, Surim. So hopefully these Surim are... Troubles with your lift or troubles Small. with the electrician. You know, those, that's the kind of Yisurim we need. Yeah, we've definitely had some. Not the lift, but the electrician, yeah. Welcome the to the club. The I think, air conditioning. I think it's part, <laughs> part and parcel of, of being in Israel. But welcome to the, uh, to the land of the Israelis. I hope it goes well and continues to get better and better. I want to talk to you today about your Layers Project. And before I even begin, why don't you tell me what is the Layers Project, which you founded? So the Layers Project, um, in its initial iteration, was a photojournalism blog where I interviewed uh, Jewish women of all kinds to discuss kind of in-depth insights into their lives. Um, Basically, we were talking about taboo topics, things that were um, not scandalous, but things that were just kind of being swept under the rug in the community. Issues like special needs parenting or um, infertility, infant loss, um, dating and kind of like unpacking the struggles that come along with a lot of these issues. And basically, I'm a social worker, but I'm also a photojournalist. And so um, I would take pictures of these women, many of them who were from, and 
post their photos with their stories on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reaction was kind of huge because there is no media space besides for social media where these women exist. You will not find their images in any magazines, nor um, books, nor movies, nor TV. Um, And so it was kind of, kind of revolutionary in that way, also kind of paired with these very intimate stories. Um, And then we realized there was a need um, for more. We started publishing some articles from women who were writing, people who had more to say on the topics that we were tackling. And these essays were going viral. And I realized that people just needed a larger space to share their personal narratives. And so um, last Hanukkah, we launched the Layers Project magazine, which is just a larger space. We still have our profiles, but we also include every month essays uh, from, not from writers, but from women who are just what we call um, average women who live their lives. In other words, personal stories. Yeah, personal stories, sharing personal narrative about um, different topics and uh and basically the magazine took off, and that's where we are today. Wow, you know, you said a lot there, and I want to ask a whole bunch of things. So let me ask sure. you, I'll take piece by piece. So first, you mentioned that these are stories that get swept under the rug. What do you mean by that? Why are they swept under the rug? Shame. Our or Orthodox communities really very often governed by shame. Uh, the reason why this happens is, I, th- I think, in my opinion, is because in order, um, we're, we're, everyone wants to be seen as successful, whatever that means, because we want to fit in. We want to be like everybody else. And in our community, very often, um, being like everybody else is kind of important to kind of getting what we need, getting access to the things that we need, um, whether it's school or shul or, you know, friendships, um, business, whatever it is, kind of being one of us, being a part of the crew is really important. So anything that we have that we that deviates from what we perceive as the norm becomes shameful for us. And so we hide it. And um, that that mechanism, that shame um, is suffocating and it's toxic. Um, and it happens time and time and time again with a myriad of Jews that we deal with as humans. Um, the secret is, is that the struggles are normal. And so unless we talk about them, um, they're always going to be conceived, like, conceived as deviant, but they're not. The more that we normalize, um, the more we validate the emotional experiences of others, um, the healthier we're going to be as a community. We can pull people from the outside in. Um, and then we as a community are stronger as opposed to kind of ignoring the outliers, even if we're not really Now, outliers. Shira, do you think this, and this might not be a fair question because you're a member of the Orthodox community, as am I, but from your perspective, you mentioned that in the Orthodox community, we are often governed by shame and so on and so forth. Do you think this is endemic to the Orthodox community or is this a larger problem and just your awareness is that of an Orthodox person, but it might be true of every community in the world or many communities so, out there? So, fun fact, I actually grew up conservative. So I did spend some significant time in the Jewish world outside of orthodoxy, but also just as a person who is modern and integrated into the secular world, this is, this is a, a universal problem. This is definitely a universal problem. The reason why um, it's particularly bad in the Jewish communities and then even more so in the orthodox communities is because community is so important to us. Mm-hmm. And so in any kind of religious communities, this is a problem. And for us, our liturgy and our rabbinic sources are always talking to us about kind of 
honing ourselves and, and reaching the next level of, you know, trying to attain some sort of perfection. You know, like, for example, Chazal go out of their way to make all of our rabbinic, uh, our uh, biblical characters almost perfect, right? Right. Um, well, depending on so the context. They do this because they want us to, you know, retire. But what happens, I think, for me personally, you know, uh, for me was like, well, I could never, if I could never be that perfect, then that any kind of level of holiness is unattainable. And so I think that that attitude is very pervasive. So like when you read these books about like the biographies of these Rabbanim and they're completely scrubbed of any kind of human experiences, they're just made to seem as like these perfect saints. Sure. Humans are not angels, they're human. And so that's why this is a really prevalent issue because sometimes it's hard to admit that we're human. Um, and that extends to myself. I've had that experience in my own life. It was hard to admit when I when I was not okay or when I was flawed or when I was imperfect. And I, I had to learn to be imperfect and being imperfect is okay. And this is a lesson I think that needs to be learned across the board um, because everybody seems perfect. And especially today in the age of social media where basically all you see is kind of people's perfect lives kind of plastered on the internet. Right. That's not real life. That raises a question that I want to ask you. So if you feel comfortable saying... So why you? Why did Shira Lankin-Sheps decide to step into this breach? What do you offer specifically that you're able to try to fix this problem? Is it just that you see the problem? So basically what happened to me was a few years into my marriage, after I had my first child, um, I developed some sort of chronic illness um, that continued to get worse as the years passed. And I, a kind of person who... Um, wanted to be perfect. And also, I also, this is just a side point. I think that our generation, especially um, Holocaust surviving families, um, we were born to atone and to rebuild for those who were lost. Uh And there's a lot of weight on us, the second generation, the third generation, and also the fourth generation. Um, And so for me personally, in my Holocaust surviving family, I felt like I need, and this wasn't something that was given to me, this was something that I perceived was that I needed to be perfect. Um, And so when I became ill, and I had to relinquish um, the roles that I was raised to, to expect to have, kind of like I lost parts of myself, it devastating. It was personally devastating and very, very shameful. And I personally went through the experience of this transformative experience that I was describing of having to relinquish that shame. And basically, I kept my illness a secret for many years. Only my closest friends knew, and I just kind of disappeared from community life. Um, and what happened was that I, one day, I just had enough. The, the shame was choking me. And I wrote a blog post kind of announcing <laughs> that I had this chronic illness mm-hmm. and that I framed it within a frame of faith and that I was going to learn from it and I was going to grow from it. Um, and I got this outpouring of support and love from friends and family and people I didn't even know. And then something else happened that was very interesting is that people started telling me their service, things that they told, they said, oh, they never told anybody before, but felt like I could understand because I was engaging in this process of kind of coming out with my shame right. or relinquishing my shame. It was very transformative for me. And then two weeks after I wrote this post, um, my grandmother passed away and I wrote a eulogy for her and someone read the eulogy online and then, and then happened upon this initial post. And then she, she said, I know, I know what she has and that we didn't know. And 
because of that post, I received my accurate diagnosis and I was able to begin healing. Wow. Um, and so this experience was so transformative for me because I realized that holding on to the shame had kept me back in life. And if I extended myself, I could connect with others in healing. Um, and that's what happened. And so when I got better enough and I wanted to do something meaningful to give back and to kind of make meaning out of this whole experience, my move was to basically create this mechanism where other women uh, could stand up and share this part of them that was painful and receive this kind of embrace from the community um, in healing. And that's what it's become. Wow. That's pretty incredible. How, how are you doing now? How's your health today, Shira? Thank God. I mean, I just, I just moved to Israel, which is something that I never, <laughs> I never could have conceived in the depths of illness. I never could have conceived that this was something that I would be able to do, but um, here I am. Wow. That's Thank great. God. Wow. May, I hope it continues. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, what you said before, I want to mention something else to unpack something else. You mentioned that initial statement about what the Lillier's product is all about. You said that things mm -hmm. are swept under the rug and women's pictures are not really being seen. And I sort of took that in, a, like, as they say in the Gemara, Tarte Mashma, it implies two different things. Because on the one hand, you're talking about shame in general, shame of not having the perfect whatever it might be, life, family, relationship, but also the idea of women in general in the Orthodox community or parts of the Orthodox community are often not shown in magazines, their pictures are taken down or blurred mm -hmm. in various religious publications. I know you also are involved in that. So how did you get involved mm -hmm. in that particular cause? As a as just a person in life, you know, I would I, I would be someone who I, I'm a big reader. I like to read and I like to read culturally competent material because mm -hmm. I like material that applies to my life. That's interesting to me. Um, and so I would get these, you know, from magazines and it would really bug me that there would be no pictures of women like the women's magazines don't have pictures of women. Right. And after a while, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, Let's unpack the message that it sends, right? So if you have no pictures of women, and, and we're talking about even if, if you had a picture of a woman who was fully covered, right, fully, completely tzniyas, beautiful, modest smile, whatever, in the, in the most idle picture you ever could imagine, that picture would be deemed inappropriate to print. Now, at the time, I still, at the time, I had a seven-year-old daughter, at home, living at home. And when my daughter asked me, Ima, why are there no pictures of women in this magazine? What was I supposed to tell her? That because it's unsneeze for women to be in magazines? What is the message there? The message is that no matter how hard you try to be modest, inherently, you and your face and your body are immodest. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it fetishizes women, it sexualizes us, and it removes it removes our ability to participate in the community in a full way. Um, and that was devastating to me. And as a photographer, I knew that I could take pictures of women in modest ways. Um, and then when you pair them with a complaint story, you can't ignore us anymore. You can't say, you can't, like, if you, when you look at this mechanism of when you, when you have a portrait, and you look somebody in the eye, that like biochemical thing that happens when you look somebody in the eye and they tell you something that's powerful, that's what happens. And that has power. And so for me, being able to showcase that mechanism and say, you can't, you can't ignore us anymore. You want to take, you want to take pictures of, of us out from the magazines? I'm going to plaster pictures of women all over the internet. 
She is beautiful, holy women. I'm going to plaster them all over the internet and you're not going to be able to ignore us anymore. Um, and so for me, that was just my, my rebellion, I guess, but my way of kind of doing something reparative, at least, at least for, for, and I, and I think that it was a tremendous, the tremendous response the Lairs project got was due to the fact that it was novel, that women who were like me, we, how about this? I'll give you an example. Go for it. This past October, I came to Israel for the first time in 11 years after being sick. And I made a video of myself and my daughter going to the Kotel for the first time. And I, and I, I, I shared a poem that I had written, and it was very meaningful. And the response that I got was so interesting. Somebody said to me, you don't understand what it's like to see a woman like you doing what you were doing represented in the media that you chose because we are not represented. And across the board in media, people talk about women, minorities, they talk about how important representation is in media. So when a young girl goes to the store and she wants to see herself represented, or she wants to see, she's curious about what it is to be a woman, what are her options? No, seriously, what are her options to pick up off the shelf to see? She could pick up a fashion magazine and see half-dressed women who are perhaps too thin and unhealthy looking. Right. She could go to a Judaica store and she could see rabbi after rabbi after rabbi after rabbi and then no women. Perhaps there'll be a pink book in the corner, you know, and there's some very serious uh, female scholarship that's out there. Don't get me wrong. But the and you look at any of these publishers, search the women's catalog. It will be the last of 30, 30 different categories all the way on the bottom. But sure, let me ask you so a question because I look, sure. I completely, I, I'm totally on the same page as you are. In fact, I think mm-hmm. it was the very first episode of this podcast, The Orthodox Conundrum. I had Shoshana Keith Jaskal as a guest to talk about exactly this issue. So I really am. She's the best. For sure. Shoshana's great. And we're all on the same page. This is a terrible, terrible mm-hmm. machla. And we have to combat mm-hmm. it with everything that we have. Absolutely. Are you, but are you being a little sweeping? I'll, I'll see what I mean. Like, for example, Jewish Action, which represents the orthodox mm-hmm. union there are pictures of women mm-hmm. in it now i'm not trying to minimize the problem but is it really that's is, one is, oh yeah i'm, not, I'm not trying to say that there are women everywhere we're winning this fight in fact i think we're losing but on the whole it's not as though there's nothing out there it's either people magazine or nothing. you just named one name another one well maybe that's exactly the point that's the point there's one the fact is that i think what you're doing is tremendous i think it's very very important do you think that the fact that the Layers Project is, and maybe I'm mis- misinterpreting what it is, is it not designed primarily for women, meaning it's stories by women for women, or is it designed for men? I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, I think it's important not only that women get to see pictures of women, yeah. but that men also understand that it shouldn't only be in Bina Magazine or the Layers Project or whatever it is. The Bina Magazine doesn't have pictures of women. But I mean, it shouldn't only be in Women's Magazine that a picture of a woman is appropriate, that if a woman is dressed in a Tanua way, there's nothing wrong with having it in a Jewish action or anything else. So I would hope that there would be online initiatives like your own that would be intended for men as well as for women that would show pictures of women. So for me, we have a concept of triage, right? Right. You, you got to start somewhere and mm-hmm. then you got to build. Because if I can make something that becomes reputable and credible and important in the sense that what we're doing is important... Only then will change happen. The Layers Project is intended for women because it's a women's magazine. But on the other hand, we have a lot of male readers, a lot. And very often I'll get the comments of, well, I read your stuff, but I'm embarrassed to like your page because I know that it's for ladies. But men read our stuff. 
They do. I've had men comment on intricacies, like they like they studying, they're studying it, and and I and I think that's great. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. From my perspective, there are two issues at hand. There's the fact that young women don't have appropriate visual models, and then on the other hand, we have the message that we're sending to young men and older men, all men, about all men. the contributions of women. With your magazine, with the Layers Project, and now the Layers mm-hmm. Project magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, that's that's an online magazine, is that right, or is it also yes. in print? Yes, mm-hmm. no, it's online. In terms of what your long term goals are for this, do you want them to extend beyond the audience of women? Eventually, do you want this male readership, or men can look at it too, but it's really intended for female readership? Um, it's a very interesting question. I think that the Layers Project will continue to grow. How about that? I mean, I already have several, several exciting things in the works. I think that my particular brand, um, because it's not just about the images, it's about the stories. Um, It's about the personal narratives. It's not just about look at me, look, look, I'm a woman, look at me. It's not about that. (laughs) You know, it's about giving women the space to acknowledge each other, to share pain and to connect in healing. That's what it's about. The photos are an added benefit to it because that's a second. That's secondarily important to me. Uh, my 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 raison d'etre was bringing women together in a community of healing. That's what. That's why this was born from my own pain. I think that if men want to join us, kolakavod. You know, and I think that perhaps you're right. Perhaps in the future we'll create some sort of version of it where it will be all inclusive. That would be very cool. I would definitely be down for that. We're waiting with bated breath, Shira. Yeah, (laughs) I think for me that um, there's so much work to be done, and Layers has only been around in January. It's going to be two years. It's only two years old. Yeah. So, so you know, we're so new, and the magazine is less. It's going to be a year old in December. So. We are just scratching the surface of what we can do because it's not about it's not about me, it's not about the team, it's not about it's about the fact that there's a need. There's a need that's being filled to connect on this level, to have healthy emotional cathartic experiences that can be also culturally relevant. Now, what's really important to me about layers is that we stay kind of apolitical and non-denominational in the sense that we don't put labels on anybody. When you see a layers profile, you don't know where this woman lives. You don't know how she affiliates. You can make assumptions about her based on how she's dressed or portrayed in the in the images and in the story. But it's not about who she is. It's not about if she's modern or Haredi or, or secular. Or refor- like It's not about any of that. It's about that she's a person, that she's a Jew, she's a human, and she's experiencing something. And no matter who you are, you can relate to that based on that, on, on how, you know, this woman deals with pain and makes meaning of it. And that... So you don't have to be you know, someone who experiences infertility to gain a tremendous amount from an infertility series. It's about watching people grapple with pain and make meaning of it and, and engage with resiliency. That's what it's about. What you're saying is really, it sounds incredible. I'm sure, I'm sure that you're not someone who likes to toot your own horn, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. What kind of impact, okay. sorry, that's what happens on the radio. What kind of impact do you think that the Layers Project has had so far? Like, can you give an example of some impact yeah. you've had? So, so funny. I was speaking to Rachel Herkman, who was our clinical director the other day. Um, and we're always, we're always assessing, you know, what, what we consider success, what we consider, you know, as something that's meaningful. And there was a few things that we identified. First of all, she said, um, something that happens a lot is that when we post 
a new topic, like an essay on a new topic. What's amazing is that Layers has become a space where people share. So most places on the internet are nasty places. People say horrible things to each other. I'm really not exaggerating when I say I've had to moderate Layers three times in almost two years. Only three times. Yeah. We have tremendous engagement and it's because people come to Layers to connect and that's tremendous. So what happens is this amazing thing is because people know that Layers is a safe space, they share. And so we'll post a, a post about miscarriage and we'll have maybe five women who will write individually. I've never shared this before, but I also suffered a miscarriage. There was one woman who said, I never shared before. I'm 80 years old and I had two miscarriages in 19, whatever, you know, like people really extend themselves. They feel safe there to share. And that is so mind blowing to me personally, because that's what I wanted. But you know, you could never, how can you imagine that something like that would happen? That's number one. Number two, we were talking, so we were talking about that same miscarriage article and, and Rachel said to me, well, you know, she wrote two years ago from people that post about miscarriages online. That was not something that people talked about. Now, if you see a post about miscarriage, you're like, oh, okay, look, a nice post about miscarriage. It's not, it doesn't, be, it doesn't like rock your world anymore because now, because we've done it and people have seen it and people, because people are now exposed to it, it normalizes the experience. Mm-hmm. And do you understand the impact of normalizing miscarriage? I mean, miscarriage is one of the most, people are so ashamed of it. They keep it secret and it's, it's women, women suffer so, so severely from, from keeping it to themselves or from the loss, from the way that they're perceived in the community, you know, that first they're pregnant, then they're not, it's it's, it's a whole thing. And so to normalize that experience, um, even in a small microcosm kind of way where it's like, Oh, I see a post on Facebook about miscarriages and blow my mind anymore like that. That really means a lot to me. Let me conclude with one last question just about, once again, tooting your own horn. And if things go the way you would like them to go, what do you see 10 years from now for the Layers Project and the Layers Project magazine? What would be happening in the next decade? Man, next decade. Honestly, I know. I we just want to get to tomorrow, to right? That's the main thing we're thinking about. Yeah, I'm trying to get my family, you know, <laughs> to the end of the summer here in Israel. You just hope the electrician um, shows up. Yeah, that's not a joke. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that our brand is strong in the sense that we are synonymous with healing and healthy, emotional, cathartic experiences. And I hope that we grow. I have so many plans. I'm like, I'm like a, I'm insane. I'm like a, I have an idea and I'm like the next day I'm already doing it. So I'm like juggling way too many things at the moment. I hope that we continue to grow and the community continues to grow and we're able to really have an impact um, in a major way on, on how our communities kind of think about and deal with shame, issues of shame and also taboo, taboo things. I, I hope that, I hope that we eradicate the taboo. I mean, that is, that's 50 years down the line. Let's eradicate the taboo. Well, you know, that, that, that's a pretty big, it's a pretty big goal, but the way things are going so far, if, think big. I know what the fact is that only people who think big accomplish big things. So I think you're on the right track is the way to do it. And if our listeners want to reach the Layers Project, how do they read it online? So they can check out uh, www.layersprojectmagazine.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Check us out. Okay. Shira Langenschaps, thank you very, very much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. 
we as a community have to be cognizant of the issues that Shira raises about exclusion and making sure that everybody feels there's a place for them in our community, that we shouldn't only show the positive side to the outside world or to ourselves, because in so doing, even though we feel that we're showing something positive, and we are, we may also be giving a message that if you aren't in that perfect world that we pretend to be, maybe you don't belong. We have to be very careful to make sure that everybody who wants to have a place in our community can find that place in our community. And Shira and the Layers Project are doing a tremendous job in helping to make this happen and moving forward in this important mission. Thank you again for listening to The Orthodox Conundrum. I want to point out that coming tomorrow, that's Thursday, July 26th, we have a brand new series on jewishcoffeehouse.com. It's Intimate Judaism. Intimate Judaism is where a rabbi, me, and a therapist, Tali Rosenbaum, discuss intimacy, sexuality, and relationships in the context of Torah and Halakha. Very excited about this new project. We're going to have a website specifically for this podcast, IntimateJudaism.com. That's IntimateJudaism.com. It will be up at some point in the next week in the interim. You can find our podcasts starting tomorrow at JewishCoffeeHouse.com iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do us a favor and go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review, and please tell your friends about this podcast. We think it's going to be really good, and I think it fills an important need in the Orthodox community as well. I'm Scott Kahn. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>